0: Every knee battle scene from the epic Avengers Endgame. And if you haven't seen it, sorry, you've had plenty of time. Um, But uh, 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 I won't give it away, really. But in the final battle, in one of the scenes, one of my favorite scenes, um, Tony Stark, Iron Man, is in the midst of fighting Thanos and all of his army of evil. And he looks to Dr. Strange um, and asks, is this what you saw? Uh, Dr. Strange, in a previous episode, had gone through Time just using his super, uh, supernatural powers had gone forward in time and seen the end and how they would ultimately be able to defeat Thanos. And so, in this episode, he looks over to him and asks, Is this what you saw? And Doctor Strange looks to him and he doesn't really give him an answer, but he says, I can't tell you because he knows what that would mean if he tells the story. But you kind of get the picture as you're watching the movie that, yeah, it is exactly what he saw. He saw the future and he knew what was required. You know, so much of life we always wonder about the end. Um, It's obviously not too uncommon. In a church setting, and for Christian people, we gather together and we, when death occurs, we think about the end and we're forced, our minds and our hearts continue, are just forced to think about what is happening in the end. What is the end of all of this? Perhaps some of you don't even have to wait for that, but just in natural day of life and occurrence, um, you see something on television, something happens in your family, something just uh, kind of hits you uh, between the the gut, between the eyes, hits you in the gut, and and, and you're forced to think... Is this really what the world is coming to? When will Jesus return? We've been promised of his return. We're just saying that he will come again. And you wonder, is this the end? Well, thankfully for us, unlike Tony Stark, who had to ask Dr. Strange if this is what it was supposed to look like, if what was happening was really going to be the victory, thankfully for us, we have been told the end. We've been given the end of the story. And in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 11, Daniel is given his final vision. And it's a very long vision. It describes two epic battles, essentially, that are going to take place. And when Daniel is receiving this vision, this is all future tense for him. When we read it, it's mostly past tense, although there is a future tense for us in this story as well. But I'm going to read for you a little bit of Daniel chapter 10. And I'll touch on some verses, we'll hit kind of the high points of chapter 11 as we work our way through this vision. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, this is Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for three full weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked. And behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Verse 10, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia. And came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, my, for now, no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, having the appearance of a man touched me, one having the appearance of a man touched me again and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Now, all of that is a long description of Daniel's encounter with this supernatural man, This one that was like a man, but that was clearly, as he described in the first opening verses there, not a man. There's some conflict or some disagreement a little bit about who is Daniel having a conversation with here. Some agree that this is pre-incarnate Christ himself, so Jesus, a theophany, seeing God in advance. And so he's having a conversation with the pre-incarnate Christ. And what that means is it's Christ before he came At Christmas time, as we celebrate, before he was born in Bethlehem as a baby, he visited Daniel and spoke to him this word. Others believe that it must be an angel, and there's some disagreement upon that, but I believe that the the description here, and taking a, a number of other Old Testament examples, we see that it follows when Christ appeared, what would happen to a man. When Paul met Christ, fast forward to the New Testament. And Paul meets Christ, he describes it in this way, and he falls on his face, and he is blinded, and he is weak before him. So it seems that what Daniel is happening, what is happening here in Daniel 10, is that he is having a conversation with God himself about this future. Now, it says there that he's mourning. If we go back to the beginning, it talks about that in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, this word was given to him, And that in those days, in verse 2, he was mourning for three weeks. Now, Daniel at this time in our story, if you haven't been with us, he's an old man. He was taken into captivity in Babylon as a young man, as a teenager, and now he is about probably 90 plus years old, an old man who is still there. So why is he mourning? The reason that he's mourning is probably it's it's a number of things. One of those is that he, the people of God, the Jews and Israelites that had been taken into captivity, they had been sent back. Under Cyrus, they had been sent back to Jerusalem and allowed to begin the work of rebuilding the temple. However, this is about a year into the time when they've been sent back to Jerusalem, and there is yet no temple. Compounding that at this moment in time, and when this is written, when Daniel is receiving this vision, he is also, it's right leading up to Passover. So Daniel is mourning because, one, his people have been sent back, and yet the temple has not been rebuilt. Now they're arriving at Passover, a a, a great celebration, the biggest celebration of the Jewish calendar, and they're not able to do that in the temple and worship in the temple. The only thing that had probably been put in place was the altar of the temple at this time. And so they put, he is mourning because they aren't able to do that. And finally, he's in a state of mourning because he's 90 years old and he was too weak to travel back. And so more than likely, as you can imagine, if you were in exile, taken, and you were, no, had never been allowed since your teenage years to live in your homeland, and then some of your family members, some of your tribe get sent home, and they're able to go back and see the promised land, see the holy land, the, the land that God had given them, and you're too weak, it's too old to make the trip, and he has to stay back. And so for three weeks, it says that he mourns, and he doesn't eat, and he grieves, and then Ultimately, in answer to his mourning, in answer to his prayer, Jesus arrives and comes and speaks to him. And he comes and speaks to him to give him hope. Look at verse 5. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a bolt of, belt of gold, fine and from Euphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his voice like the sound of a multitude. And he's falling on his face. And the hand in verse 10 touches him and says, O oh Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. I've been sent to you. And then in verse 12, Fear not, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And so, God hears Daniel's cry and see and he sends Jesus to come and speak to him. Now I want to skip ahead because Daniel and Jesus have this conversation. This angelic supernatural being, the pre-incarnate Christ, is speaking to Daniel. And it says something really interesting. As, the, as he gets to the end of this conversation, he says in verse 18. O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And he spoke to me, and I was strengthened. And then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and I will go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. And so he tells him of these, this battle that's about to happen. But notice that he said just prior to that that he had to wait In verse 13, he said, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me, for I was there with the kings of Persia. Now, this is interesting because Daniel is having a conversation with the pre-incarnate Christ. He's speaking with God himself. And God says to Daniel, I have heard your prayers. And you've been grieving and mourning for three weeks. I didn't come sooner because I was doing battle with the king of Persia. Now, if you're like me, you read that and you think, well, Jesus really doesn't, doesn't take much. I reference Thanos. Jesus is more powerful than Thanos. He didn't even have to snap a finger. He just speaks in the enemy's fall. So what is this battle that he was doing? Well, it seems... But this is a reminder, and one of the hardest things that, or one of the things that we are so quickly tempted to forget in this life is that the battle is not between flesh and blood, but that there is a spiritual realm, and there is a spiritual battle that is going on. And Jesus, as the captain of the Lord's armies, is standing guard and watching over this, but he doesn't always immediately intervene, and there's a purpose for that. But one of the things that we, ha- we, we just too quickly forget is that that spiritual battle is happening. Now, referencing Jesus and the fact that he would hold off, I want you to think back to Joshua in the fall of Jericho. I'm going to read for you from Joshua chapter 5, 13 through 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Joshua sees this man, he's off kind of in the wilderness right before the battle of Jericho, and he sees this man standing with his sword drawn, and he wants to know, are you coming to fight for us, or are you against us? And he said, the pre-incarnate Christ says then, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. I'm not either or, I'm the commander of the army. What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is on holy ground. Joshua found himself standing on holy ground in the midst of an encounter with God himself. And he says, I'm the commander of the armies. And so as we come back to Daniel and this reference that he was doing battle against the king of Persia, Jesus himself was not doing battle against the king of Persia, but his armies were. And who were they battling? They were battling the enemies. They were battling darkness. They were battling evil angelic beings. A supernatural, a spiritual battle is happening and is going on. And so often, we forget about it. Revelation speaks of the spiritual battle that exists in this world when it describes the birth of Christ. Revelation 12 verse 4 says this, and it's speaking about Satan, the enemy. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them down to earth, talking about the the fall of the other angels. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. In the spiritual realm... The angels of God and the angels of the enemy, those angelic beings, they are doing battle, and Revelation describes them as the dragon sitting before Mary as she's about to give birth to Christ, saying that that he's he's there prepared to devour it. Now you're thinking, well, that sounds crazy. How does that play out? Let me connect that in human terms. King Herod, under the influence of of the enemy, Satan, who sought to destroy Jesus. He issued a decree that every child below the age of two should be murdered, should be killed. So, when Revelation describes Satan as waiting for the child to be born and sitting there prepared to devour it, that's what's happening in the supernatural, the spiritual realm, the earthly and the human sense. We see Herod issuing this decree saying that every child should be killed that's below the age of two, to ultimately, to kill the Messiah. So, we see this spiritual battle exists, and Daniel is being told there is this battle that is happening now and is going to continue on. See, we too often think of the battle that we face, the battles, the challenges that we face, as a battle against flesh and blood. There's a reason that Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. When we think of our problem merely in human terms, we miss what's really happening. We've got to become more aware, brothers and sisters, more aware that the enemy does exactly what the Word of God says he does. He seeks to kill and destroy. And he uses his power, his influence, to move and roam about and to influence us to be tempted to sin, to go against and to attack one another and to do all the things that we see happening. He uses that influence to destroy us. There's a spiritual battle that is happening. So we go throughout our day, Monday through Saturday, and we think to ourselves, whatever challenge that we are facing is something that we're dealing with, and we try to deal with it merely on human terms. And we wonder, why is it that I struggle, and I struggle, and I struggle, and I struggle? Now some of that, as Jesus described for Daniel there, he waited for three weeks he was waiting as Daniel struggled. He was busy commanding the Lord's armies against the king of Persia. But very often, it's because we try to deal with our challenges and deal with the issues that come, we come face to face with in human terms. We have to pray. There's one place that we are able to seek the power of God and to, to wield the power of God. That's through his word and through prayer. We pray just as Daniel fasted and prayed for three weeks, and the Lord answers. And when we pray, we're actually dealing with the spiritual things, the real root of the issue. Have you ever had something happen in your life, maybe a friend relationship, and you're going throughout your week, and you're kind of having a dialogue back and forth, and you realize that there's some conflict, and there's some conflict in this, and maybe let's even take this a little closer to home for those of us that are married, and in your relationship with your spouse as husband and wife, there's been some conflict, and you're dealing with this conflict, and you get to the end of the week, and this conflict's just kind of been going on and on and on and on, and you realize... The issue is not really the issue. You are arguing about room temperature, but room temperature really is not a big deal. We can just go fix the thermostat and change that. But you peel the onion back and you have some conversation with your spouse or you have some conversation with your friend and you realize there's something deeper that exists there. So often in our lives, we don't ever get to the root of the problem. We deal with the problem in terms of what we can see through our human eyes, and we don't ever drill down and peel the onion back and get to the spiritual root of what really is happening. I want you to think about this. I used the story of Herod. I did that on purpose. When we read the story of Herod at Christmas time, we think an evil king, a ruler, decided that he didn't want to lose any power, was jealous that this new Messiah that had been told about might come in and take over his power, and we think of it merely on human terms. Have you ever thought until this moment that there was an enemy, the enemy of God that did not want Jesus the Messiah to do all that he did, and he sent his angels to go and influence Herod and to cause this to happen. That's what's happening. We've got to have spiritual eyes, lenses to see what's really happening. And we have to commit to going to the Lord through prayer. It's the only way that we actually do battle. We are quick to do battle, trying to do battle with our hands and our fists and our feet, either fleeing or throwing punches or whatever it might be. We're quick to do battle with our tongues and our mouths, speaking evil against one another and against the things of God. We're quick to do all those things. We need to be quick to do battle in prayer. The other thing that we have to do if we're going to really recognize and understand the reality of the the true battle that exists is we've got to know the Word of God. How is it that we will understand and know when we're hearing from the Lord, or we are being influenced by the enemy who's tempting us to come against the things of God. You know the truth. By knowing the truth, you can hear and you can be sensitive and attentive to the lies that come in our minds, the lies that we're told. We have to be cautious So we have to commit to prayer. We must know the word. The last thing I'll say about this is we've got to be cautious. Friends, we have an enemy that seeks to kill and destroy us. He is real. It's a real enemy. And if we're not cautious, if we're not careful, just like Herod became a pawn in the hands of the enemy to try and accomplish his purposes, we too can become pawns in his hands. We can become the people that the enemy uses to distract and detract from the building of the kingdom. Do you know what's going on when you gossip, when you speak evil or harm against one another? You are being used as a pawn in the hands of the enemy to destroy and to tear down his child, one created in the image of God. Do you know what happens when we speak evil against his church? We're becoming pawns in the hands of the enemy that he is using to distract and detract from the building of his kingdom. You might say to yourself, I'm just trying to help. I'm just trying to offer some correction. I'm just trying to do this or that. I'm just trying to give this friend and, and maybe help them move them along. No. No. That's not the way the people of God move. That's not the way the spirit of God moves. He speaks truth in love and clearly. And so when we find ourselves tempted and distracted and pulled away from the truth and operating in a way that God has called us to operate it, we become those pawns in the hands of the enemy to tear down his kingdom. We've got to be on guard cautiously on guard, and again, how do we do that? How do we keep our guard up? How do we maintain a firm stance? How do we be prepared for the battle that is coming for us? We do that as we hit our knees and pray. There's a reason. I know that you might think of it as just another church thing that we feel sort of obligated to do as church people when we put the second Sunday of every month on our calendar to pray. No, that's not just a church thing to do. The reason that we do that is that as elders, as the pastors that care and are responsible for shepherding the souls of this church, we know that the only place where we are going to have true victory and be able to push back against the forces of darkness is when we unite our hearts together in prayer and we hit our knees and we say, God, we don't have the power. We don't have the ability to overcome this on our own. We need your power. We need the power of God at work in us, and so we go to the Lord in prayer. So Daniel chapter 10 reminds us and teaches us that there is this spiritual battle that is happening, a spiritual realm that exists, and I want to exhort and encourage you as strongly as I can to be attentive to that. Be aware of the spiritual battles. When you find yourself tempted away from the things of God, when you consider all the things that you might be engaged in on a day-to-day basis, whether it's the way you speak, the way you carry yourself, the way you're living out in your relationship with your spouse, the way you're living out relationships with friends and co-workers and all of those sorts of things, be aware. The Spirit of God and his, it, it, there is, he is with you. And he's called us to, do, to wage war and to do battle against the enemy. Because Daniel chapter 11 tells us about the great battle that Daniel would have coming for him. Daniel chapter 11. And I'm not going to read this if you're flipping forward through your Bibles. You're seeing, man, that's a really long chapter and you're already a little bit anxious because you're looking at that clock that's right in front of me thinking, how is he going to get through that entire chapter? But the reason that this is lumped together is because this is a singular vision. And so in the text, one of the things that we strive to do is we just anchor ourselves to the Word of God in this church is that this is a comprehensive vision. So Daniel has this vision and sees the pre-incarnate Christ and he is telling him of the spiritual battle that exists and now he's going to tell him of these two coming great battles. And all throughout chapter 11, he's telling of these battles. And the purpose of chapter, of, of Daniel 11 is to really just share share the story of three Persian kings. There will be three kings, and there's going to be warfare between them. And then a fourth king would come in, and he would do battle against the king of Greece. It describes the conquests of Alexander the Great, and then the splitting up of the kingdom. And there's four, again, warfare and battles that happen between them. It ultimately reaches a critical point. Daniel chapter 11 describes in verses 2 through 20 this battle between Antiochus IV, who attacks God's people himself. And in Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, it then turns and it moves from a prophecy about this future battle between kings and earthly movements of kings and how God would deal with that to the end of the story. And the king in verse 11, or chapter 11 verse 36 says this, speaking of this king. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods he shall prosper until the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done he shall pay attention no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the um, or to the one beloved by women he shall not pay attention to any other god for he shall magnify himself above all so daniel 11:36 begins this prediction or this prophecy telling of the story of the antichrist this future. And so the first 35 verses describe all of the earthly battles, these, the battles of these kings, and Sorry, it's been... I can't search the web on Apple Watch. I don't know what that is, <laughs> but I'll turn it off. So Daniel chapter 11 and the first 35 verses describe this battle, the earthly battle that is taking place. And in 36, it's going even further forward, and this is the part that is still in our future. And it describes the fact that we have a very real enemy. And as I said a moment ago, we so often forget that we have that enemy. We are tempted to think that we don't need to do battle against him. We are tempted to think that he doesn't have power over us. But just like we have a very real enemy... We have a very real savior. This is the beauty of the end of this story. I said as we began, Iron Man wanted to know, is this how it's going to end? Is this the final battle that we'll face? Some of us want to know what the end will look like. How is it that things are going to work out? I'll go back to the text that Drew read for us from John chapter 14. "'Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also.'" And you know the way to where I am going. That's a good promise, friends. You might find yourself, Daniel found himself grieving and mourning over all of the events that he had faced. He's 90 years old, has been in exile his entire life. And now he is told by God himself, that Daniel, there is even more turmoil, more war, more anger, more death to come. But in the end, I will finish it. I will bring you home. Some of us forget too often that we are in exile, that this is not our home. And we see all of the wars waging, and no, I'm not talking about just the physical wars that are fought between armies and nations. But I'm talking about the battles that we face every single day. Those spiritual battles, those temptations, as I described earlier, to become pawns in the hands of the enemy, to to, to destroy one another, to tear one another down. We face challenges in our relationships with our spouses. We face challenges as parents with our children. Children, you feel perhaps sometimes you're not understood, and there's challenges that you face, every single one of us every day is reminded that things are not as they should be. And then we come face to face with death itself, and very often you've heard that text read that from John chapter 14, you might have only heard that read at funerals, thinking about this promise. But we need to be reminded daily that Jesus has said, he has gone before us, and if we believe in him, he has gone to prepare a place for us, and he will take us home. And so no matter what it is that we are facing, whatever the challenge, the reality, as as exiles, as people who don't have a real home, as people who have been forgotten, it seems, at some times, all of those things, we need to remember the hope that we have because of Christ. We need to remember the future that exists for us. Jesus has said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You don't have to any longer be troubled. And I'm not belittling or saying that you're not going to grieve, that there are not going to be challenges and real pain that exists. But even in the midst of that pain, even in the midst of those challenges, your heart at your core, do not be troubled. Believe in Christ believe that God has said I go and prepare a place for you. If the worst that can happen is this body dies and at that moment you are re- united with almighty God, what are we to have fear over? What are we to worry about? What is to cause us, even as we read, and I encourage you, go back and read Daniel chapter 11 and read through the details of all of the battles that are going to take place. And even as you think about this this afternoon, perhaps you'll think about the battles that you face day in and day out, the challenges that come, and you think to yourself, Lord, what is going on? Be reminded, believe in God, believe also in me. You know, Thomas, very much like us, he asked Jesus the question in verse 5, continuing that. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we to know the the way? And that also might be your trouble. You may find yourself, yeah, I think I believe in Jesus. I I know that he has gone before me and he's prepared a place for me. And there's that ultimately that when I when this body dies, I will be united with him. I believe in that. But you're wondering, I'm not sure if I know how to get there. I'm not sure if I really understand what I'm supposed to do. I face this challenge, the spiritual battles well up, and they come at me, and I'm face to face with the enemy and the attacks of the enemy. What am I supposed to do? Jesus said this to him, and he says this to you and I. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas, you want to know the way? Because you're thinking of these things, once again, in human terms. You're thinking about the way in terms of, what is the path for me to get from the front of this room to the back of this room? And you think, I need to tell you to go to the right aisle. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He says, no, Thomas, what you need to know is you need to know me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's me. You want to know the Father? You want to know the way to the Father? You want to know the way to that mansion with many rooms? It's through knowing me. And once again, brothers and sisters, how do we know our Savior Jesus? We know Him as the Holy Spirit reveals Him to be the true Messiah, and we know Him through prayer and through His Word. As the Word of God speaks to our hearts, as we know Him through prayer, we study those two things, allow us to know Christ. And as we know the Lord, verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. We can know our Creator. No matter what it is that we face in this world, we can know him, we know the way to him, and we have a future and a hope that cannot be destroyed a future and a hope given to us by Almighty God that cannot be changed. No battle, no enemy is strong enough to stand up against who He is and the promise that He's delivered to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You. I thank You that Your Word is true. Lord, I thank You that Whatever is facing my brothers and sisters in this room, whatever those spiritual battles that are happening between your, the armies of light and the armies of darkness, we can know the end of the story. And we can have hope because of it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that, that is true. And so right now, Jesus, in your name, I lift up whatever those battles that are being waged against my brothers and sisters right now as they've gone throughout this last week. I just lift them up to you. I thank you that your angels protected the path to allow them to come into this place this morning allowed us to gather together, that they guarded the door and prevented the enemy from saying no and stopping us from entering into your presence. So I pray that in this this moment, Lord, we would be reminded of your care for us and your love for us. And no matter what it is that they face, Lord, would would you just encourage them right now Would you encourage them to remember your words to us? Let not your heart be troubled. Help us to believe in you, Lord Jesus. Help us to trust you. Help us to see you as the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you. We praise your holy name. We do it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Every knee will bow. Every eye will see. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.